Welcome to Songs of Praise. We hope you enjoy the Christ-centered songs and that it brings healing to your soul. Jesus 
rejoice that before him how Jesus endured the cross despising the shame he now sits at the right hand of God keep looking unto Jesus keep looking unto Jesus looking unto Jesus
Without flowers 
We trust you are getting to know our Saviour Jesus Christ better as Songs of Praise continues.
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our Psalm 50, verse 23. Whoever offers the sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me and prepares his way so that I will show God's salvation to him. Come close, my precious child. Listen to the words I say. Many years ago, Jesus came and he changed 
there'd been a drought and every word he spoke was rain bringing hope into our lives and life to the promise of
he touched me and made me whole. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul when at the cross the Savior made me whole my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day heaven came down and glory filled my soul oh what a wonderful my Savior I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Shadow dispelling with joy, I am telling. He made all the darkness depart. Oh
passion and love He looked down to earth Then he sent his son Born of a virgin birth He knew from creation What was to be
This is Songs of Praise, music to help you appreciate our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of Christ my Savior Standing, standing I'm standing on the promises of God And the law is right And it's written by God in stone The law is love And the law is life And it's written by God in stone I will follow His commandments I'll abide in My delight It's written down in stone Oh, it's written down in stone The law is holy, the law is pure And it's written by God in stone The law Faithful forever sure And it's written by God in stone I will follow His commandments I'll abide in Him alone For His law is my delight It's written down Stone, oh, it's written down in stone. The law brought fire, and the law brought flood, it brought down judgment. Set his 
It's been a pleasure to have your company here on Songs of Praise. We here at 3ABN Australia Radio wish you God's richest blessings. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we are continuing Banish the Night, by the late missionary pilot and pastor Len Barnard, read by Clive Nash. The book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Pacific Press and is available in print and digital editions online. Continuing Chapter 13, The Fireproof Bible Full of zeal for the Lord, 
Paul made an excursion into nearby Lye Valley, proclaiming the story of redemption. As a result of befriending an old man, he interested the man's whole family in the plan of salvation, as illustrated by the picture roll. They set aside a section of ground at Yakananda for a mission station and began to erect a building. The neighbours, as usual, opposed the entry of the seven days into their midst and expressed their doubts to others. Soon a group gathered, and the leader declared that the mission would not be allowed in their valley. Paul and his friends quietly continued building. One morning the intransigent neighbour and his group confronted the mission band. While Paul contended that every man has the right to choose his religion, the other side insisted that they did not want the seven-day mission in their vicinity. Angered by Paul's defence, the leader of the opposition seized a stick and threatened to beat Paul if he did not leave immediately. When Paul refused, his infuriated opponent struck him and others joined in with fists, beating him on the face and back until the blood flowed freely. When he fell, they kicked him and jumped on him. Hearing the tumult, the chief came racing to the scene and saved Paul from certain death. Painfully, Paul rose to his feet and faced his enemies. Me no got a cross long you fella, he assured them in the spirit of his divine master. Me sorry along you fella tas all, because Tamango spoil him tink tink belong you. Now we like shake hand along you fella. I'm not cross with you. I'm only sorry for you because Tamango has spoiled your thinking. Now I want to shake your hands. While blood dripped from his injuries, Paul went up to his tormentors and shook their hands. The now angry chief threatened to take the offenders to the government post at Wabag for punishment, but Paul interceded. To settle the argument, the chief asked those who wanted to follow the seven-day mission to stand behind Paul and the others to line up separately. A large number sided with the champion of the gospel, won by his Christ-like spirit under extreme provocation. Thus, love triumphed over hate, and the church was built. One of our apostles across the valley from Mulataka was 18-year-old Evila, who had received only two years of education in a mission school. Under his ministry, a group soon responded to the gospel, and some prepared for entrance into the church. One day, a man and his wife decided to take one of their pigs to another village near Evila's outpost. Setting out in the morning with their four-year-old daughter, the father led the pig, while the mother struggled along with a heavy load of cow-cow. When they reached their destination several hours later, they were surprised that the daughter was not already with friends in the village. They decided she had been lost along the way. Accompanied by the villagers, the parents retraced their steps, calling to the little girl as they went. As daylight began to wane, they searched feverishly, for it was not likely that the naked child could survive the night in the open. Using burning sticks for light, the people continued their search in the rain and cold. Desperate with anxiety, the parents walked back and forth along the trail all night, calling the name of their daughter. Occasionally they made a fire and huddled over it for warmth. Early in the morning they roused the villagers, and once again the area all along the length of the track was diligently searched, but without success. At the end of the day, 
there was still no trace of the missing child. On the third day, Evila visited this village and found the people preparing a feast for Tamango. He was angry and must be appeased so that he could help them in their search. Evila told them that the true God would help them because he loved them. It was not necessary to appease him. If they would cease their useless preparations for the feast and bow their heads, Evila would pray for them. In simple faith, he petitioned God to demonstrate his love and interest in the people by helping them to find the lost child. Evila then walked through the jungle alone, calling the girl's name. After a short time, he heard a faint whimper. He found the child lying under a bush, stiff with cold. Without food or a stitch of clothing, she had survived two cold, rainy nights. Lightheartedly, Evila carried the girl back to the village. With boundless gratitude, the tearful parents clasped her in their arms, while the whole village acknowledged the superiority of the true God. Chapter 14 Defying Tamango Housey fire! Housey fire! I swung around as Paul pointed to flames eagerly crawling up the wall behind me. The fire came from an ingenious chimney of drums, milk tins, bark and clay that was constructed to convey the smoke through the wall of my new hut. As the dry thatched roof caught, I thought there was no hope of extinguishing the flames, so we hastily threw our patrol equipment out of the door and window. But dozens of whooping villagers swarmed onto the roof, pulling the thatch apart and beating out the fire, saving most of the walls. It was a sobering experience, which could have occurred while we were sleeping. The previous morning I had left Wabag by Land Rover with Mr Cliff Butler, a carpenter from the Mission Hospital at Sopaz. My object was to penetrate Maraman Valley in defiance of Tamango who had long reigned. Several national evangelists had already begun there and had reported an encouraging response. As we climbed up the Lai Valley toward Mulataka, we were suddenly stopped by a 12-foot gap in the road. A huge boulder crashing down the mountainside on a man rushed to the river below had taken part of the road with it. An abandoned vehicle nearby intimated that someone had decided to walk rather than attempt to patch the gap but it would have added more than 20 miles to our hike if we left our conveyance here. So to make a crossing, Cliff and I and our helpers collected loose poles and planks from the bridge not far away. An hour later, a makeshift bridge looked barely safe, but I decided to risk passing over. Taking off the Land Rover's door for easy exit in case it became necessary to jump out, I hugged the cliff as closely as possible and nervously drove across to the other side without mishap. It looks as though Tamango does not appreciate our venture, I remarked to Cliff as we drove happily on for the next 20 miles to the end of the road. Two hours later, we walked the last half mile into the Mulataka station and slept in the new grass hut that caught fire the following morning. After the excitement of the fire had died down, we set out toward Maraman Valley. On our way, we passed two growing outstations whose adherents warmly welcomed us. We climbed steeply through a weird moss forest where gaunt giants of the jungle fling their dead arms skyward as if imploring help from above. 
we paused on the 10,000-foot pass for a welcome rest, although the atmosphere was cold, damp and misty. Rain began to fall, and we sloshed our way through mud and tripped over tree roots for several hours, before halting for the night at an unmanned government rest camp. We were at 9,000 feet in a shallow forested basin rimmed by high mountains. The mountain men are experts in gathering firewood and making a fire when everything is wet. They cut down into the centre of a dead log until they find dry wood to start the fire. In these conditions, it is a luxury to peel off one's muddy socks and pour hot water on the aching muscles. Leaving the eternal mist of these heights, we found the track which followed a cascading stream 4,000 feet down to the isolated Maramun Valley. We slipped and slid continually. As the morning wore on, I began to feel miserable. My bones and muscles ached. The temperature was rising. The trail became a nightmare. Although my legs became as heavy as rock, I had to keep going. Finally, we arrived at the Mission Out Station. Our lonely believers in this place, never having been visited by their missionary leader before, insisted on shaking hands. But I thought the 100 handshakes were too much for me. How would I regain strength for the return trek? During the three days in the valley, we held meetings and dedicated a church. The earnest believers offered special prayers for my recovery, and I improved dramatically. The return trip seemed very long and tiring, but on the second day we eventually trudged through the last few yards of mud and sank into the comfort of the Land Rover. But the excursion had been worth the effort. New outposts had been strengthened, and the gospel more firmly established in another of the uttermost parts. South of Ligham is a mountain 12,000 feet high, where storms gather almost daily and send vicious squalls into the Candep Valley. The floor of this valley is at 7,600 feet altitude. It is graced by several lakes which vary in size according to the season and the amount of rain that falls. About 7,000 tribes people live here. Our evangelists had already entered. Anxious to encourage these men, I decided to walk to this valley. With most of the population living on the hills surrounding the flat valley, care for the people is particularly difficult. Their gardens are 8,000 feet or more above sea level. Food grows slowly and sparingly. Cow-cow, their staple diet, takes nine months to mature. Occasional frosts cause near-famine conditions. Once, when Yamau, a worker from this valley, came to visit me, he looked so gaunt I failed to recognise him. In two months he had lost 15 pounds, but he spoke nothing of it. After a refreshing pause on the pass, we slid down the steep mountainside and reached the rest house just as a deluge of rain descended. In the morning we negotiated the hills and squished through a marsh, and shortly after midday we reached Pindak, our main mission station in the valley. Everyone there gave us a sincere welcome. On this occasion I was honoured to dedicate a neat church just 15 minutes' walk from the uncontrolled area called Waggy. Scores were attending worship services here and indicated a growing love for the Lord. There was promise of large congregations growing up in Pindak and throughout the valley. Another new outpost we visited was situated on a bleak mountain ridge. 
but the people were responsive and enthusiastic. Sitting apart was a dejected-looking woman wearing endless strings of beads of mourning called Job's Tears. Upon being questioned, she said the last of her four children had just died. Then came her plaintive plea that wrung my heart, Please send him help because me fella die all the same four leg. Please send us help for we die like animals. The best I could do was to leave for a few weeks an orderly who was with me. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of Banish the Night written by Len Barnard and read by Clive Nash. listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. The book of Psalms is one of those very special books in the Bible, highlighting the prayers and praises of ancient Israel. The psalm today is Psalm 41, a psalm that David wrote and is for the choir director. And the theme for this psalm is the blessing and suffering of the godly. Happy is the person who is thoughtful of the poor. The Lord will come to his aid when he is in trouble. Indeed, the Lord will preserve his life and let no harm come to him, blessing him as he works his land. He will not let him fall into the hands of his enemies. The Lord will give strength to his body when he is ill, restoring him to health when he is sick. I ask the Lord, please show me your mercy, cleanse my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say in hope, when will this man die and his name be forgotten? If he has to see me for some reason, he just speaks empty words. His heart is like a pit for rotting rubbish, and when he goes away, he spews it out to anyone who will hear. All my enemies speak secretly to one another against me, planning what they can do to harm me. A deadly disease, they say, has spread throughout his body. We are sure that now he is on his bed, that he will never get up again. Even my longtime friend, whom I trusted as a confidant, the man who ate at my table, has become a traitor to me. Now you are the only one who can help me, O Lord, and lift me up so that I can deal with these despicable people. I take courage knowing that you smile upon me, for my enemies have not overcome me. For my sake, you have supported me in a life dedicated to you, and your glorious face is always turned toward me. Praise be to the Lord God of Israel from eternity past to the never-ending ages to come. Amen and Amen. Amen.